Liz and I are going to be kind of um, tagging the next sort of half an hour or so, uh, if that's okay, to give you a bit of a roadmap as to where we're going. Uh, Liz is going to say a little bit. We're going to sing together, so there'll be a song in the middle of what we're saying. So don't get too excited that you think the service is over, because then I'm going to come back again. <laughs> Because then I'm going to come back again and just sort of wrap it up. Uh, and then Aaron's going to say a few words at the end of that. Um, we were speaking with somebody over breakfast this morning, uh, weren't we? And we said, um, oh, um, we said, uh, uh, Liz said, uh, Graham and I are speaking this morning. And they had a little pastoral concern came over their head. <laughs> I mean, no, no, we haven't had an argument. It means we are, <laughs> we are speaking this morning. <laughs> so, so, Liz, just uh, for the, you know, in case there's anybody here who doesn't, doesn't know us, um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit within the context of Mother's Day? Um, I'm a daughter. Um, my mum is away today, but I'm remembering her today. And I'm a mum of four ranging, children ranging from 23 to 13. Okay. Um, and we're in a season at the church at the moment where we're thinking about discovering your purpose. Um, the focus today is about growth and learning. Um, how do you go about learning and growing? Um, I like words, I like reading what other people have written, so I write down lots and lots of quotes from articles and books and journals and the Bible and church and um, anything I read really, I jot them down. Okay, brilliant. Um, and uh, how have you gone about preparing for today then? Uh, I haven't done it in the traditional way of studying and researching for one particular aim in mind. I've gone through my journals to see if a particular theme emerges of what God might have been saying to me over the years. Right, okay. And if the, if the horrible happens and the fire bell goes off in a minute, um, what would you want people to take out thinking if they miss the next half an hour? What do you, what do you want um, them to remember? Um, I, think, I think what's emerged, as I've read, is um, that it's all about growing to love God's heart and learning to share God's heart with others. Okay, let's explore that a bit more then. <laughs> Happy Mothering Sunday. I hope all women, mums and spiritual women feel blessed today. In 2004, the British Council polled more than 40,000 people in 102 non-English speaking countries, asking them for their top 70 favorite words, and mother came out as the top most beautiful word. But we know that Mother's Day can often be a difficult day, and some people even choose to stay away, because their own mum may have recently died, or they may have lost a child. Perhaps they didn't know their mothers, weren't able to be mothers, or maybe didn't have a great mother. Maybe there's been pain in your mothering. We would want to recognise those sadnesses and hope that all will feel welcomed and blessed today. There is something of the mother heart in God. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said he wished he could have gathered his people together um, as a hen gathers her chicks. Every time a woman reaches out her hand to another, she is displaying God's nurturing love. Being a bigger picture person, I used to think that life was too short to stuff a mushroom. I still haven't stuffed a mushroom, but I am slowly learning that seemingly trivial or seemingly great moments are all alike if directed by God. One of my devotionals states this, nothing is small to God. In his sight, a sparrow is of greater value than a palace, one kindly word of more importance than a statesman's speech. Jesus said the most important commandments to God are loving God and loving others. 1 Corinthians 13 said, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. John Maxwell, who's written books on leadership, says the society which scorns excellence in plumbing because plumbing is a humble activity and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because philosophy is an exalted activity will have neither good plumbing nor good philosophy. 
Neither its pipes nor its theories will hold water. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. The finest quality of greatness is service, no position, just a servant. Jesus says in Matthew 10, you'll be rewarded if you so much as give a cup of cold water to one of the least of his followers. James 1, we are told that true religion is to look after the widows and orphans. Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about separating the sheep and the goats, it is those who clothed and fed and watered others and visited them in prison who will be rewarded. Mother Teresa said, a life not lived for others is not a life at all. Anna Smith, who's the wife of Martin, who wrote the song we are about to sing shortly, said this about money and the heart. I've seen people in slums hungrier to own a DVD player than feed their kids, and I've met millionaires who share everything they own. There are wealthy people who squander every penny they earn on themselves, and there are poor families who will give someone their last bit of food because that person is the guest of honour. Money is seldom the issue. It's our heart that usually messes things up. Our hearts need a revolution, and God can use good hearts to change the world. Rachel Hickson said this about unforgiveness. Nothing messes up our hearts more than unforgiveness. It's like spiritual cholesterol. It blocks up the heart and makes us sick. If we get rid of every shred of unforgiveness, it brings healing to our hearts, and we can begin to hear the word clearly, retain it, persevere with it, and produce a harvest from it. As he deals with our hearts, we are able to grow in our love for the word. Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for everything we do flows from it. We must let God do everything that he needs to do in our hearts so that we can be free to worship God and free to love others more freely. We must guard our hearts carefully. Jesus is first in our hearts. We must give careful thought who we give our hearts, who we give our hearts to and who we allow to have access to our hearts. Likewise, we must fiercely guard the hearts of others especially the vulnerable. And what of our physical hearts? Can they be affected by our emotional and spiritual world? A study involving men and women who'd been diagnosed with stage B heart failure were assessed for their levels of gratitude using standard psychological tests. It was found that more gratitude in these patients was associated with better mood, better sleep, less fatigue, and lower symptoms of poor cardiac health. In further tests, patients who kept gratitude diaries for eight weeks also showed improved heart health. And when our hearts get broken, as happens to all of us, I'm reminded of what Adrian Plass observed of the suffering of Jesus, that in his darkest hour as he hung on the cross, as his heart was being broken, he ministered to many people. He ministered to his mother as he placed her in the care of John. He ministered to the Roman centurion as he believed in him. He, meant, he ministered to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. He ministered to us as he forgave us. He ministered to the people who crucified him as he forgave them. This was all before the resurrection. Out of our suffering and brokenness will come opportunities to minister to people in ways we otherwise never could. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has been widely praised as a leader with love on full display as she reached out to the families of those whose loved ones were gunned down. Pakistan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said of Ardern she has won the hearts of Pakistanis for her compassion. Recently, hundreds of people turned out in Paynton for the funeral of a homeless man. He died aged 52. He'd been selling the big issue for 10 years. The report said that the town had taken him to heart. Whether we are famous or unknown, it is our hearts that will win people over. 
Jesus said the two greatest commandments were to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you had to choose someone um, to partner with on a massive project that would affect the lives of millions of people forever, who would you choose? Would you choose someone with the most qualifications? Would you choose someone with the most experience or the best character or the most diligent? When God was looking to redeem a world that had been ravaged by sin, he chose to partner with a humble teenage girl called Mary. God does not look at external appearances. Instead, he looks at the heart. He chose someone who would be faithful to him, even as she endured the misunderstanding and shame of her pregnancy. Someone who would lovingly mother the Son of God and then bear the pain of her own heart being pierced as she watched the son she loved suffer and die. God is not looking for impressive CVs. He is looking for devoted hearts. If you had some incredible, amazing news, who would be the first person that you would tell? It would be the person that you were closest to, not an acquaintance. When Jesus rose from the dead, the first person that he chose to tell, in an age when a female testimony did not stand up in court, he chose to appear to Mary. Telling her to give um, the most important message that the world has ever known to his disciples, who sadly didn't believe her. Jesus chose to confide in a heart that was devoted to him. Jesus honored women. He conversed with a woman of suspect character at the well. He forgave the woman caught in adultery. He commended the woman who poured perfume on his feet, and he praised Mary for sitting at his feet to learn from him. Many women were with him at the cross. They had traveled with him in his ministry, providing for him. Clearly, they had found someone they could trust and serve. At the two most pivotal points in global history, Jesus' birth and Jesus' resurrection, when God was looking for people to partner with, he chose two humble women with devoted hearts. Isaiah 41, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. God is always there to hold our hand when we reach out for him. An evocative image for me is when I see um, a grandmother holding the hand of a young child, as it reminds me of the way my own grandmother used to grip my hand tightly, especially when we were crossing the road. I can still remember that um, protectiveness. Years ago, I remember reading about the hijacking of a plane and the taking of hostages. When one man thought he was about to die, he recalled that the man next to him reached out to take his hand, which brought great comfort. In that moment, love transcended all culture and all language barriers and was instantly recognizable. An A&E nurse called Christy Watson has written a book called The Language of Kindness. She also talks about the power of holding hands. This is what she says happens when her emergency bleep goes off. Even now, I'm afraid when I push open the door to accident and emergency. So let us go in together. I take a deep breath. If you come with me, then anything is bearable. Take my hand. Hold my hand tightly. Let us fling open the door and find whatever we find. Face all the horror and beauty of life. Let us really live. Together, our hands will not shake. Over the years, I've learned that God is love. Whether we love family, colleague, friend or neighbor, the source of all love is Jesus. As the New Zealand Prime Minister stated of the victims of the shootings, they are us. Love is simply reaching out your hand to take the hand of another. Love like the hostages holding hands in the plane will be instantly recognizable for what it is and will bring comfort. Love will always be truthful and will look and sound like Jesus. Jesus said that there is no greater love than laying down your life for your friend. Love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like forgetting about yourself. Love looks like dying on a cross. 
Today we are remembering that every time a woman reaches out her hand to take the hand of another and show kindness in the workplace, in the home, in the church, in the community, they are demonstrating love. To every woman who loves from her heart, day in and day out, who tends to a cancer or Alzheimer's sufferer, who looks out for the colleague and neighbour and friend, who pours themselves into their roles at work and at home, who gets up in the night to tend to someone vulnerable, who supports the broken hearts in their families, we would want to say thank you. Um, thank you so much. I've just got two more questions, if that's okay. Um, how would you say, uh, so you've got your, 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 your purpose statement, if you like, growing to love the heart of God and to learn to share that heart with others. How do you try and live that out? Um, usually involves connecting with people around food. Um, and that's good. <laughs> at home, um, it, uh, we go, I go running with non-Christians, get involved in the churches, and yeah. Okay. Work, working a lot with young children. And, and finally, can you maybe just give us one story, one example of how this has worked out in practice? Um, years ago, Chudley was looking for a new lollipop lady and um, nobody wanted it. It remained vacant for ages. And um, this little thought flitted into my head, you could do that, uh, followed by much stronger thought, I really don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> and I really had to battle with myself because it was a minimum wage and I could imagine the money piling up on the pavement and nobody wanting it and I could imagine God being hurt and saying why doesn't why aren't any of the Christians picking up this money and spending it for me and why are they just letting it float away so in the end I took it on for five years and even though I had at least one friend who laughed hysterically at me um, for saying that I wanted to do it um, but I did get to meet loads of really interesting people, and I got chatting to a lady who did come back to faith and is still in church today. I met an old man who said I was the only person in Chudley who spoke to him. Um, I rescued a lost dog and got to meet loads of families <laughs> and retired couples. Um, it's good to position ourselves where we can meet and love people. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Gareth, could I just invite the, uh, the, the band to come up? Um, such, such a lot of, so many things there to, to take away. And we wanted to pause just in our message this morning to give us a chance as a congregation to respond to what, what Liz has said. Um, because Liz has given us sort of a, a kind of a worked example, if you like, of how she has grown. And we will all be different. We'll all grow and learn in different ways. Um, but it's a lifetime journey. Um, uh, that started a long, long time ago before I ever met Liz uh, and she met me and will continue into the future. I'm sure that will be very exciting. Uh, but it's all about the heart. Um, it's all about the heart. And uh, as we were preparing, there's a song that uh, is quite an old song now, so I hope some of you will know it, uh, called Lord, You Have My Heart. Uh, and we want to invite you to stand if you're willing and able to do so. And for us to sing this song together as a, as a response of corporate worship. We want to be worshipping and praying with those who want healthy hearts, spiritually, physically. We stand and pray with those whose hearts may have been damaged, hearts that may have been told that they don't matter or that they're second best. We wish to stand and pray with those who wish to renew the devotion of their hearts, 
We stand and worship and pray with those who want to expand the capacity of their hearts to love. Just take a moment to offer. You may in your own imagination, you may do it with your hand. Offering that heart to God, lifting it up. Thank you for what you've taught us about your heart so far. Thank you for all you've done in our lives. Thank you for your presence in our lives. And just as later on in the service, we will bring our gifts of money. We bring the gifts of our hearts first this morning. We love you, Father. We want to praise you. We want to see your glory fall because of what you do. Maybe we could just sing the chorus once more, just really echoing that voice. I will praise you, Lord. We see your glory here. Thank you. Please take a seat. And if there's anything that's, uh, that, that, that came to your mind as we were singing and praying, uh, and you'd like to, to talk that through and pray with someone at the end of the service, please do feel free to do so. There'll be people around who'd be very pleased to, to pray and chat with you. Um, so it's really great to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm just going to speak for a few minutes, just following on really from what Liz has been saying. Um, if you haven't already read it, uh, I'd really recommend uh, Rick Warren's book um, about uh, called Purpose Driven Life. It's a really great book. I think Claire mentioned it a few weeks ago. Um, and one of the things he says is over time, we grow through trouble, uh, we grow through temptation, and we grow through truth. Uh, and I think that's quite a helpful way. I also think we grow through our mistakes. Um, um, I don't know if I've told you this story, forgive me if you've heard this story before, uh, but a little while ago, well, a long while ago, I was working in Austria as, uh, as, as when I was at university, and I, I found when I got to university, uh, when I got to Austria, they spoke a different German to the one that I'd learned at school, and, and so I was out of my depth a bit, and I had to learn a new language, the new dialect, and so I, after a few weeks, I thought I'd got the hang of it, and I said to my friends, let's go out for a drink, and I will show you that I can order drinks in my new dialect. So we went to the pub, and, uh, and the waitress came over, which is what they do in Austria, and I said in my best accent, I'd like half a pint of beer, please. I was pushing the boat out. Half a pint of beer, please. <laughs> and she looked at me, and she said, sorry? I said, I would like, master communicator, speak louder, I would like half a pint of beer, please. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm, I'm, are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm sure. I would like half a pint of beer. Uh, we still weren't getting anywhere, so in the end, I reverted to normal German. The next day, my friends came and said, Graham, do you, do you know you weren't asking for half a pint of beer at all? I said, oh, what was I asking for? We've looked it up in the dictionary. You were asking for a shower hat. <laughs> so, so, so the conversation had gone along the lines of, hello, I'd like a shower hat, please. Sorry? I would like a shower hat. Are you sure? Yes, I am sure I would like a shower hat. So I learned something from that lesson. That, that I know what German is for shower hat. <laughs> but whether it's, whether it's through trouble, temptation, truth, whatever, whatever way you learn uh, is not the key issue. The key issue is about being intentional. The key issue is having a heart that says, I want to grow. I'm going to decide to grow. I want to make an effort to grow, and I'm going to persist in growing. I don't know if you've seen the next slide up here. I found this uh, just as I was looking for pictures for this particular talk. And... Uh, uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Find your purpose in life in 10 minutes. <laughs> and we just get it all sorted before the time you come out of here. But as Liz has demonstrated so eloquently, it's not about a 10-minute fix. It's about a lifetime of devotion and deciding to grow. 
The Bible is really clear that learning has a central place in the life of discipleship. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses says this, Listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees and regulations I'm giving you today so you may learn and obey them. Proverbs 9, verse 9 says, Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So there's no place for saying, well, I know it all. I've got there. I've arrived. And Philippians 4, verse 9, Paul says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And I like that because there's this idea of you can learn uh, and you can watch somebody. You can read, you can watch, you can talk, you can, you can listen to things, you can observe through art and music. And there's a whole host of ways in which you can learn. Uh, but it's about saying, let's make sure we do learn and we do grow. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul is writing to a church that is um, threatened by false teachings. There are wrong emphases, there are over-focusing on rules, and there are misunderstandings regarding spiritual world. And the danger was that it was going to displace Christ from the center. And so Paul is writing to them to make sure that Jesus was very much at the center of their lives. And he, re he, read this, uh, he wrote this, uh, and we've been praying it over ourselves as a congregation this week to, to, as we prepare for this service. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That part of the DNA of this church is that we grow, that we want to grow. And as we grow, we discover more and more about our purpose. Paul asks for complete knowledge of God's will, for spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I wonder, are we happy and willing to say amen to that prayer as it's prayed over us? Uh, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it, to have complete knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Paul's confident as we receive those things that we will please God, that our lives will honour him and that we will be purposeful and produce fruit. And in summary, as we grow, we learn to know God better and better. And so there's a, there's a challenging question there as to whether we're prepared to say amen to that question because if we do, then we have to engage with it. Uh, and a question that I ask myself on a, try to do it on a ready, fairly regular basis is outside of Sunday mornings, outside of Sunday mornings when I'm here or if you're listening to us on the podcast, if you listen to it on the podcast, when was the last time I did something intentionally to grow as a Christian outside of the Sunday morning? When was the last time I did something with a specific intention of growing as a Christian. Uh, for me, at the moment, I'm thinking of two things. First thing, uh, which I won't go into a huge amount of details about, uh, is the Daniel fast, which Liz and I did in January. Uh, and we joined with others, and I was amazed to learn uh, a lot about myself during that process. I learned about some of the strongholds my mind had around food. It, it was really interesting. It wasn't easy, but it was really, really interesting. Uh, and I didn't realize. Um, and I've learned I've got a long way to go in that particular area. I've also come to the conclusion that in order to get my body mass index, that's that relationship between weight and height and all that sort of thing, to get it in the, to get it in the right zone, all I've got to do is grow three inches. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be fine. <laughs> Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Liz and I went to a weekend away to Lee Abbey. It was the first time we've been to Lee Abbey. It was a wonderful, just restful time away. And the theme covered how we can be fruitful 
and Simon Holland, the warden, spoke about this cycle of grace, which will come up on the screen in a minute. And, and, and it just refreshed my memory, refreshed my mind of this. And I found it really helpful because when we think about fruitfulness, when we think about purpose, we often start there and we ask the question, what should I be doing? What can I do? How should I be fruitful? And so on and so forth. And those are important questions, but they're not the first questions that we should be asking ourselves because they're output questions. They're things that we do, things that flow from us and, and, and have an effect on other people. And then what the cycle of grace says is you need to have some input first. Before you can have output, you have to have some input. And the cycle suggests at least three stages before we get to fruitfulness. Uh, the first one's acceptance. And that's what we were singing about this morning, about recognizing that God's created us for a relationship with him that God has done everything necessary through Jesus to bring us into friendship and relationship with God. And if you're not aware of that or you haven't taken that on board this morning, if nothing else from this morning, take that away. God loves you. God wants you as part of his family. God wants you to be a child of God. And he's done absolutely everything necessary in order to bring that about. Uh, so God wants a relationship with us. Jesus calls to us, follow me. Uh, and we are, and, and we are accept we find our identity in that. So we are accepted. And then we have sustenance. We have this time of abiding in God. That's the time of prayer, of Bible study, of whether it's on our own or with other people, that intentional learning, that growing. The Bible talks about abiding in the vine, just making sure we're connected to God. And that's really, really important. That's where this message sits in terms of context. The sustenance. Are we taking time to get sustained by God in whatever form works for us? And that will then help us become identify our significance. That's where we start to work out our purpose as we reflect on those things. Think, yes, okay, I'm secure in my acceptance. I'm spending time with God. I'm learning from God and learning with others. That will help me understand our purpose. And then fruitfulness flows from all of those trees because then you start to see what God has, uh, what God has in, in store for us. And sometimes we can spend less time on those first two. So I hope, I hope that's a helpful picture as to where this message sits and what Aaron will speak with us in a few moments uh, around the Riverside Academy and how, how that fits in. It's a time of sustenance. Uh, being get together, accepted by God as part of his family, learning from him and from one another as to what, uh, what, what, what makes life in Christ so fulfilling. And the second scripture I'd just like to, to think about for a moment is one of my favorite go-to verses is in Luke 2, uh, verse 52. And it says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I love that verse. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. And do you notice the same pattern there? So Jesus grew in wisdom and then found favor with God and all the people. So growth followed by fruitfulness. It reminded me of a similar verses in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, with the infant church, the early church, as they start to, to gather together and they meet together. And it says, all the, in Acts 2, 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First thing that they did. And then, verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Um, I love that. I love that image. They devoted themselves to the teaching. They did other things as well, corporately, sharing life together. Input, acceptance, sustenance. Then they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people and the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's your output. I think that's really good. And it's been wonderful. If you're, if you're here today and you've just recently joined Riverside or you're here for the first time, it's wonderful to see you and it's been lovely to talk with you and get to know you a little bit over the last few weeks and months. But I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing people coming in and visiting us and, and seeing how, who we are and what we're about while we're in a season of knowing God and finding freedom 
That's our acceptance and our sustenance and learning who we are as, as people in Christ. That's the most important thing to be secure about, is who we are in Christ. And then we will begin to understand our significance and our purpose. Um, so in Luke, Jesus is 12 years old, and Mary and Joseph have lost him. Can you imagine? You're on your way home, and you turn to each other and say, have you got Jesus? No, I thought you had Jesus. No, I haven't got Jesus. Where's Jesus? Oh, my goodness, we've lost the Son of God. <laughs> Where is the Son of God? In an aisle in Tesco's or something like that, or Sainsbury's. Where is the Son of God? But the Son of God is in his father's house, uh, and he's learning, and he's asking questions. He doesn't know it all. He's there asking questions at the age of 12. And I take that huge, as hugely encouraging. I don't think, I, sometimes this isn't in my, the way my mind works, nobody else might have thought, of, thought like this, but I don't think there was a kind of Jesus 1.0, Jesus 2.0, Jesus 3.0, and so on. And every birthday, he went into a quiet place, stood in a quiet place and went, <laughs> like that. And then there was this kazam, and he got sort of, sort of a, a, a divine download of all the wisdom he would need for the next year and all the knowledge that he would need. I don't think it worked like that. I think he watched people, he talked to people, he read the scriptures, he learned, he talked, he discussed, he followed his father's carpentry skills, and he did all of those things that you and I would do to learn to grow in wisdom. I can't remember whether it was here or whether it was on a talk that I listened to or somewhere, so, so if it was one, somebody who said it here, thank you, because it was really helpful to me. Um, they said this, some people say, Jesus is all I need, and they were reverently disagreeing with that. They say, no, we agree with it from Jesus is all I need in terms of salvation, certainly. All we need to get right with the Father, Jesus is all we need. But not necessarily for, for everyday life. If I got in a car for my driving test and I said to the examiner who sat beside me, it's all right, I've got this, Jesus is all I need. I've never driven a car before, I've not read, I've not read the highway code, uh, and I've never had a lesson, but Jesus is all we need. I'm not sure that driving examiner would stay in the car with me for very long. Jesus was not all Jesus needed. Jesus was not all Jesus. Jesus needed others around him. Jesus needed his disciples. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says this, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. And I think to myself, if Jesus age 12 needed to learn, if Jesus as an adult needed to learn, who am I to say I don't need to learn? How am I to say I don't need to grow? I've got so much to learn, so many things I need to learn. I'm grateful for what I have learned. And Liz and I learn in very different ways. Um, but, uh, and, and that's fine. And you and I will learn in very different ways. And that's fine. The question is whether or not we are committed to growth. Uh, whether we can discover our purpose through saying, yes, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to take the opportunities intentionally outside of Sunday mornings in order to grow.